The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch now in the iTunes Live app from the beast below, this is Doctor Who Podshock. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 267. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello there. And across the Great Pond in Germany is Mr. Graham Sheridan. Hello. Hey, Graham. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. Well, we're here. Uh, it's March, and it's, it's, it's a new month, but a couple weeks ago... In the middle of February, that's when we were actually when we had done our last show. Was uh, Ken wasn't with us because he was um, three thousand miles away in at Gallifrey One Network Twenty Three. So, how was the show? How was the convention? It was fantastic. Uh, it, it's always Gallifrey is the benchmark for fan run conventions, and they proved again this year. They topped out at just shy of thirty two hundred. Uh, attendees. That's fantastic. I think took them by by surprise. I think Sean said that he didn't think he would make three thousand, and they they definitely hurtled right past three thousand. Fantastic convention as always. The costumes were spectacular. The events were well organized and thoughtful, and the panels were fun. And it, overall, it was just fantastic uh, convention. Probably one of my three favorite conventions of all time. Was there any uh, surprises, anything that, um, any of the, during the, the panels or while you were talking with people there or anything that took you by surprise? No, uh, actually it was pretty much what I expected as far as um, what I was going to see and what I was hoping to get out of it. I think the only, probably the closest thing you could have to um, a low light and I don't want to say disappointment because it's still not a disappointment it just wasn't uh, it it wasn't what I expected as far as um, maybe the anticipation <laughs> what's the phrase now it was a bit of an anticipointment uh, was the <laughs> 1996 uh, live commentary and I think that came down to the fact that a few of the people who were watching the movie probably hadn't seen it in a while. In particular, I'm thinking of Eric Roberts, who probably hasn't watched the movie mm-hmm. in a really long time, if at all. So they were a little rusty? So what would happen was you, you may have had people who were more interested in watching the movie. And positioning-wise, you know, the lights go down and the couches are facing the screen and the audience is behind you. And I think... I think... Um, 
for a situation like that, perhaps the lights being up a little, the, the sound was a bit loud. So normally in a in a live commentary, the sound is almost non-existent or should be almost non-existent. And that way, the silence, you know, the actors <laughs> would start getting the clue like what fills that talking yeah. here. Maybe I should say <laughs> something. Bec- and, and it's a shame because the few times as an example, when Eric Roberts was actually saying something, it was actually kind of interesting because. We don't really hear much from Eric Roberts about that particular role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can I, but I really should to... say that it was a low light because uh, there were so many other worthwhile things going on. You know, the, the, the things that were being talked about were fantastic and the little jokes. And then the cast did a photo session at the end where they were taking pictures and things. And um, there were things to be learned. As you know, I'm a big fan of the 96 movie, so any chance mm-hmm. to to hear something fresh yeah. was exciting. And um, and I think maybe it has more to do with my, my anticipation of that being one of my highlights for the weekend. Now, probably the highlight for myself, and I know a few hundred people who all said the exact same thing, was William Russell and his appearance at the convention. It started with his announcement almost a year ago that he was coming Mm -hmm. and continued all the way up until I landed in L.A. where at no point on my my little mobile device was I ever um, um, disappointed that he had to cancel for some reason. So I get there and William Russell is there and he's going to be at the convention and then he's just spectacular. And he was a rock star. He was an absolute rock star at Gallifrey. He, uh, all his panels were packed. He was signing autographs. He was getting hugs and taking photos. And it was just, it was just really fantastic. And it was, it was just fantastic to see. We should just make a. Uh, I mentioned that for new new fans, new viewers. Uh, when I say new, to, you know, twenty oh five onwards fans of Doctor Who that may not be familiar with who William Russell is. He was one of the first companions of Doctor Who. Um, played Ian Chesterton, and he it, is he eighty two now or somewhere in that vicinity. No, near near ninety. No, it, okay. <laughs> He is what we could call the original male companion. Well, yeah, he is. Um, and it's fantastic. Uh, he got over to stateside because the thing with European, say better, British events is that it's the British way, isn't it? Highly reserved and he probably doesn't really get the perspective of how the fans really perceive him and how much we really are glad when he turns up and it's such a great thing so that he's got stateside to the biggest stateside doctor who convention and yeah and i should also make a mention that he doesn't appear at conventions in the in the u.s quite that often either so no it, so it is it's, it's rather fantastic and then maureen uh, o'brien alongside i was like oh, oh that one for me was a deadly jazz maureen o'brien's my favorite female companion of all time still is still mm-hmm. isn't one that hasn't yet to beat her um and uh yeah so it was obviously you got those two plus Warris Hussein mm-hmm. the guy uh, who was the first the director first, first director mm-hmm. and director of Marco Polo as well 
and uh, the fact that you guys got to in, you know interview him last year, that you got this beautiful setup uh, practically from the first. Um, well, I'll say the first. Well, William and Warris from the from the, the first episode ever, and then obviously got Warren and O'Brien from later on, but still within the first Doctor's time. It's just, that's fantastic because um, within we'll come later on to the new section. Uh, it's the people from this time that are getting fewer and fewer, and basically just due to age and uh, you know. It's also the unfortunately we're at the um, you know we we just passed the anniversary date of you know losing, um, Rudyard. yeah, <laughs> uh, and Nicholas Courtney. Courtney, yeah. So uh, how's William Russell doing? Did he seem okay, Ken? I mean, he's, he's, I mean, for his age, he seemed vigorous. He seemed fantastic. A man, man in his eighties was was pretty sharp. Uh, remembered a lot of things. Spoke very clearly. Um, he was. He was definitely exhausted because they put, I mean, I don't think he expected the amount of attention that he got. I think that he was probably thinking he was coming to a convention and a few people would be really excited and he'd sign some autographs and you know, give a little talk to a few people and was in a packed auditorium each time to standing ovations. And um, after his first talk on want to say it was Friday afternoon he was finishing up it was just William Russell and a moderator it wasn't you know wasn't Warris or or Maureen O'Brien or anything and the place gave him a standing ovation and would not leave let him leave the stage as they were um, applauding him and he moved I, I had gestured for him to move towards the TARDIS and he did and people started taking pictures and the photos went off like a press conference would be for a famous athlete or at a movie premiere or something. And he was standing there, standing next to the TARDIS, and people were taking photos, and he was waving, and he was bowing a little bit. And um, he started to tear up, and I think he was genuinely moved by <laughs> just the absolute outpouring of of affection. And well-deserved, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. And very well-deserved, absolutely. And I... The only autograph that I got all weekend was William Russell's. I, I got it twice. There was no <laughs> way I was leaving there without his autograph. And, and I was amazed that that what he was charging – I mean the autographs are always reasonably priced to Gallifrey. But this was really inexpensive and I'm like, you know what? I'm getting two because it's William Russell and yeah. I have to. And I did on a photo, a black, beautiful black and white from Planet of the Giants I think. And then – he had a still from Superman the movie, which he didn't have a speaking part in. He was just in the background, but it was him in the Kryptonian getup. And I said, well, I'm as a Superman geek. I have to get that too. So kudos my, there. Yeah, that's – And uh, those were like my holy yeah. grails. And I I've, obviously I, I took a picture with him and um, and then I, I co-interviewed him with Stephen from Radio Free Scarrow, which is available on their show. Um, his time was so limited and he was so exhausted that by the time there was a window of opportunity to interview him, he only had about 10 minutes and we were both going on and, and I said to Stephen, well, how what do you think about doing this together? And he's like, oh, I would love to. He's like, let's, let's just do it because, you know, he, he's only got a few minutes. And if you see any of the photos on, on Facebook of Stephen and I interviewing William Russell, you'll see the crowd that gathered. Amongst 
our peers chip from two minute time lord was this in the hallway or a corridor in the hallway and just gathered around and there's there's richard franklin standing there watching the interview patiently waiting for us to finish so that we could break off and and i was going to interview richard franklin and Stephen was going to interview um he broke off to interview so oh i think louise so there were, you know, there we were. These these other well-known and well-respected actors, all patiently just waiting their turn because you just didn't interrupt William Russell. It was that that simple, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even like it was going to be any piercing, news-breaking questions. It was just a chance for us to sit and gush a little, and just talk to the man and revel in his his um, his just being there. Just, just soak in his greatness for a few minutes, and it was wonderful. It was a really great experience. Well, I'm glad he got his his props, and I'm glad that you know people respect it. Obviously, <laughs> of all places, Gallifrey One would be the place that he he would he would receive that. So I'm glad for that. Now, uh, since last Gallifrey One and this Gallifrey One, unfortunately, there's been two. Well, there's been more than two, but two iconic losses within the Doctor Who community. Was there any tributes done to? Elizabeth Sladen and uh, Nicholas Courtney. Uh, yes, actually, there was um, Amy Krell. As a matter of fact, conducted the tribute to Elizabeth Sladen, and um, and was just fantastic. It was she did a, a personal recollection of of her friendship with uh, w- which Amy actually a- Amy and I talked prior to Gallifrey she said you know what what do you think I should do and I said well you know you could everyone can do the she was wonderful and we love Sarah Jane but you know you knew her personally and within the bounds of privacy you could just speak to what she was really like and I think that's probably uh, something that is um, that honors her mm-hmm. and and, and wouldn't be out of bounds, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it better than that. I just thought that it was just speak from the heart. You know, you don't have to go into any sure. any deep personal details. Just say what was she was like. What, mm-hmm. what was it like to know her? What was it like to call her a friend? And she did that. And she shared some slides uh, and, and told some stories and, and put some things into context. And I thought she did a fantastic job. And then Amy's friend, Lucy Chase Williams, who... Did the the one for Nick Courtney and Lucy and Amy were involved in the very first U.S. convention in Los Angeles in the late seventies, as you may have heard on Podshocks sure. in the past. Mm-hmm. And she was she knew Nicholas Courtney really well, and she spoke the same way. Uh, I didn't get a chance to to see the full event because I I wound up being scheduled against half of that for something else, and uh, so I, I caught as much of it as I could. And I would like to have stayed a little bit longer just to see what what that was all about. Very good. Was there any anything? Well, so far we've been focusing, obviously, with this you know, the series in the past. Was there anything, any news concerning the new series coming up? Anything that? Um, I mean, I, I know there was a, originally. There, I mean, this had nothing to do with the new series per se. But um, wasn't Gallifrey going to be the, the the announcement of the new, which came out in the news anyway before, uh, with the crossover between the comic book Star Trek: Next Generation, you know, and and the the Eleventh Doctor? 
but uh, to my understanding, um, Tony I just lost his last name. Uh, the writer, Tony, the comic Lee? book writer. Yeah, he had he wasn't able to make Gallifrey for some reason. That's correct. So um, so was there any other announcement, any any anything concerning the new series? Any was there any a special message from from Stephen Moffat, who obviously wasn't there, any, a video message or anything like that? Uh, he sent a written message. He didn't send a video message. And that, I believe, was just strictly to the convention during opening ceremonies. But I, was, I wasn't I was where I normally would be during opening ceremonies, although I was just outside it. I think I was in the green room, and I was working a lot of different things from behind the scenes. Um, and so I'm afraid I didn't catch what his message was, although I'm sure somewhere it's on the YouTubes. Okay. Yeah, and I was just wondering if there was anything that, um, you know, sometimes they'll give a little nugget of information or something uh, something to tease you, you know, for the upcoming series of Doctor Who. But it's different this year because it's still, it's it's further off into the future. It's an autumn you know this new series launches well, they, in order. They were a week into the filming at that point, yeah. and there was wasn't anybody attending Gallifrey that um, was involved in this early block. So it's uh, as far as public news goes, there wasn't anything. Because yeah, the rehearsals have started the the Monday before, so they just literally come to the end of the rehearsals and the filming started uh, the Monday after. The, got into the filming. So for those people out there who don't like being spoiled, watch out. I'm afraid there's lots of photos flying around already. It's one of those unfortunate things. Now, Ken, um, this sort of question, getting back to Gallifrey itself properly, um, just understand right that Eric Roberts uh, well, basically got waylaid or sidetracked and ended up coming in a, bit, a lot later than expected? Well, he was there on Saturday and Sunday to mm. sign. Um, he was billed all along as not being there on Friday, just being mm. coming in on Saturday and Sunday, and he was. And he was at the live commentary. What he wasn't at was the uh, – what he didn't attend was the the 1996 movie panel, which was on Saturday evening. Yeah. And then they did the live commentary Sunday morning you know, early, we shouldn't say morning, but like noontime. And he was at the, he attended the live commentary. He wasn't, he did not attend the, uh, the, just the straight question and answer segment on, on stage. And I think if he would have missed the live commentary, there would be more scuttle. But I think, um, well, Sean, I guess, could comment on what he agreed to do or not not do. But the fact that he was at the commentary clearly indicated to me that it, that whatever for whatever reason he didn't attend the question and answer, it wasn't because he was uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, he seemed kind of all right with everybody. I mean, there was – I think it's well known that there's a standoffishness amongst the cast and, and Eric Roberts, but – he was sitting next to EG and they were chatting and um, they all linked arms and, and took photos together and whatnot. And in my limited time speaking to him, he was actually very nice to me. So I, from a that limited interaction, I found him to be kind of nice. So 
Mm-hmm. Any any other highlights or any other um, anything from Gallifrey one that you want to uh, mention? Well, let's start uh, at the at the start of the convention <laughs> and go all the way to the the closing ceremonies because every there there are so many highlights. It was fantastic. I I hosted Mark Shepard and his father Morgan Shepard on the main stage together. Morgan joined us about halfway through, and those guys are just fantastic. I mean, they've been in everything, and they're fantastic to fantastic speakers, both of them. And either one of them could read you the ingre- the ingredients on a box of Cheerios and just make it fascinating because <laughs> they're just excellent orators. And Mark's got a ton of stories, and and he went on and t- talk about another moving moment. But there was a, a a person who stepped up to the microphone. He took a lot of question and answers, and that person said, "You know, um, I introduced Doctor Who to my parents through." impossible astronaut day of the moon that was the first thing they ever saw and people were applauding and they now they're doctor who fans and they're applauding he says and it was because of your character that i found the strength to come out to them and he started to you could see it was affecting him emotionally and there was this you know the gasp of air in 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 the auditorium and and i'm always i always find it interesting when when you see some when you see another human being's reaction and display of emotion, especially from someone who's famous, because they're usually Guarded. pretty calculating as how they want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And he was genuinely moved. And I asked him about that later. I said, you know, you really seem to be genuinely moved by what that person had to say. And he's like, yeah, I was. And um, that was probably the in that hour, that was my moment next to perhaps bringing Morgan Shepard up to to sit next to his son and just having the two of them together there being between the two of them being in a hundred things that I I love various television and movie projects that I that I adore so that was fantastic it would be my assumption that this is their first convention together no oh they've okay. done a, they've done a few Both together really yeah. oh okay it's it's a bit hard because well both of them are so well really well known through uh, sci-fi obviously mark is more from from the modern era but if you look at science fiction and fantasy alone from uh from morgan's side, side of things and um, just flicking through the tv channels one night before i had to go out to work and there was hook the slayer i went oh morgan and i settled down and watched the clock and I went now I've got to go out so you know, it's, it's things like that and okay there's the one or two movies you might not be so proud of uh, like Elvira Mistress of the Dark but he, when he comes on and he starts playing his part it's always great to watch so it's great to get these guys as a, as a double act in as a father and son sort of thing and uh, yes, an, an so, hour is not enough time for the two of them to be honest with you either one of them you can take an hour on just a single project and ask them about what they learned and what it what it means and uh, what it's like to work with different people. Pick anybody, any of their their uh, any of the people, any of the creative team behind the scenes, any of their co-stars, the writers. Uh, Mark, especially with symbolism and things like that, he's just. I I was saying to to Amy Krell at at 
breakfast the next morning that uh, the thing that impresses me most about Mark in the couple times that I've met him is that he seems to know what everybody else's job is on a movie set and has a deep respect for what that job means to the overall production, that everybody's contribution is valuable, that it's a team effort, and it's not just the actors who are wonderful, that every single person has a role to play and their and their contribution is valuable. And that earns a lot of my respect because I don't think – I think there are a lot of people out there, a lot of actors out there that think that they're the star of the show and it's that simple and doesn't matter that you're duct taping down wires. That's all you do. You got to understand I'm the star here. And I don't think that's the case with, with Mark Shepard. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. And apparently, from the, a few of the pieces I've heard, um, his Doctor Who knowledge, at least up to a certain point where he went into acting proper and didn't see the show anymore, is fairly broad, I'd like to say. Point, um, the point that's, I think, even correct one interviewer as to uh, a certain fact about Doctor Who, which is, you know, really impressive. The actor's life is the fact that you've got to learn these scripts. And they're not thin little bits, you know, just just a couple of pages, you know, maybe at the start, it's a couple of pages, but his stage of the game, you know, quite thick books, so you've got quite a bit to learn. So uh, I have problems learning my song text, never mind learning stuff to act. So I'm always impressed with his knowledge and things. And then, of course, you know, the the star of the show is Paul McGann. I mean, he was the doctor this year. He was the headliner. Mm. And Paul, who I've met in the past and gone to conventions to see, is always spectacular because he is Paul McGann. And what I mean by that is that there is a certain he, – he has a – as an actor, he has a certain status because he's well-known and well-respected for the work he's done, and he's that in person as well. He's a person you can see takes his craft very seriously, feels very passionately about it, puts his heart and soul into his roles, and he's like that as a person. He's just a nice guy. And I have to say that he, I, the, the times that I've seen him when he's with Daphne – and E.G., in particular with Daphne, I mean, they have great chemistry together. That's something that, that's kind of been understood amongst Doctor Who fans for years. But at a convention, the two of them just have so much fun. And Daphne was going to sing a few songs in the intermission of the masquerade from her CD. And she came out and Paul said, uh, well, maybe I'll, I can sing backup. And then E.G. said, well, you know, I'll, I can sing backup. And Charlie Ross said, well, I can sing backup. And they formed the Pips. And the three of them came out in the third song called um, I Don't Need No Doctor. And they sang the backup. And they, Paul and, and Charlie and E.G. worked backstage for about an hour, getting just the little, you know, the little bits of backing vocals just right and three-part harmonies. Took it so seriously and was so dedicated to it. And then Paul, just in his having fun, there's a part in the in the breakdown, instead of having a, a guitar solo or something in the song, there is a part where it breaks into the Doctor Who theme being played on the flute. And Paul starts doing the da ba da dum 
da 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 and you know and swaying his hands back and forth and snapping his fingers but he's doing he's doing the 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 heartbeat of a time lord bit and it was just fantastic and it's it's moments like that i i said to Sean after the the rehearsal of that i'm like you get so lucky you're the luckiest son of a gun just magic happens for you at your convention it just happens people go out of their way to make magic happen and it's those kind of things and there's a clip of that on youtube as well by the way of of i don't need no doctor with paul and eg and and charlie ross charlie ross's stand-up which uh daphne did her three songs and then charlie came out and did did a stand-up routine about science fiction, about Doctor Who, was spectacular. We'd always heard how awesome Charlie is. He does a lot of stuff over in the UK. And, you know, I, I hear wonderful things. And I met Charlie. And I think Charlie's a great guy. And I'm yeah, he's like, been oh, great. I'm on our show as well. You. And you, you, you always have that sort of gr- taking things with a grain of salt when someone tells you how great something is. And then he did it and brought the house down. It was really special and apparently at Gallifrey when you do a concert you replace the old-fashioned cigarette lighters for the ballot like in concerts way back in the day with sonic screwdrivers now (laughs) so there are hundreds of sonic screwdrivers uh waving back and forth over people's heads to the rhythm of a song that he he closed with and it was just another fantastic moment at Gallifrey. These are the reasons people go to Gallifrey. Well, I, I should just back up to the to the song, the Daphne Ashbrook song. If for those listeners that aren't familiar with it, the original track appears on Grace Notes, so that's available. Um, you, you can purchase that, and it's "I Don't Need No Doctor." Right? Is the title of the song? Is the name of the, the song that I'm yeah. referencing? Yes. So the, the the whole album, you know, is is spectacular, mm-hmm. and um, actually was in. The, the early rounds of Grammy nominations, which is just ridiculous. Really that's, fantastic. That's so, um, and yeah, Daphne has a new uh, book out as well. Well, the book debuted at the at the convention as well. So Daphne has a book out and a CD out. And for the, in the category of shameless plugs, she's coming to Long Island with Paul McGann. Well, that's what I was leading to because Gallifrey One has sort of been a reunion of sorts of the 1996 movie. And Daphne and, and Paul are reuniting once again at the end of this month at Icon 31, right? Yeah, Icon 31 here uh, in Stony Brook, Long Island. It's probably, it's safe to say, and I'm, uh, and I'm searching my memory because I'm a big fan of the 96 movie, and if any time Paul McGann would have done an appearance anywhere near here, I would have gone. So it's safe to say that this is his first New York appearance mm-hmm. supporting Doctor Who. I could... As far as I know, maybe that's right. Maybe he was up in Boston for United Fan Con or, or one of the events up there. But I'm pretty sure if it's it's not just the first New York appearance, it could but it be might be the first Northeast. Yeah, I don't think that I'm stretching that too far. Uh, Paul can correct me. Paul Paul Eldrad up in Boston can can correct me if I'm I'm wrong. Well, either Paul could correct it. <laughs> What's that? I said either Paul could. Correct yeah, it. that's true. Either Paul could correct me. But it's really fantastic to have um, Paul. What happened was. Sylvester McCoy had to bow out uh, because of The Hobbit, which is great news if you're a Sylvester McCoy fan, and, and we all are as Doctor Who fans. 
And it's The Hobbit. So we all get how big that movie is and how much it means to the science fiction and fantasy community, but also what it means to someone like Sylvester McCoy. I mean, that's a major part. And so the fact that he had to bow out because they extended his time in New Zealand, it was a bummer because we wanted to see him. But we kind of understand mm-hmm. because it's the Hobbit. Yeah. So happens just as I'm leaving for Gallifrey. Who's at Gallifrey? Paul McGann. So it was like, well, can we get another doctor to come to Icon? And Paul McGann said yes. So it's Paul McGann now and Daphne Ashbrook, which also still works out because they're fantastic together. And they're even more fantastic when they're together because they just have so much fun. And then Fraser Hines, who is like a hot glass of fun on top of that. And and the, and there's just a, a, a huge – this is the largest guest list they've had in, in forever at Icon. And it's, it's a huge representation of Doctor Who. It's, Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I liked uh, the way uh, the news was um, formatted for you know the change from the seventh to the to the eighth Doctor. You know, well, he the, regenerated. He regenerated on the way to Icon. Yeah, that, that's really what happened. He regenerated, and so Paul and Daphne cut a, uh, a one minute video clip in front of the original 1996 TARDIS console from the Fox movie, which was out in L.A. They cut a quick video clip, and it's on YouTube if you if you Google. Uh, well, it's on. Paul it, it's it's on. You had posted it. It's on our site. I at, did. At Gallif- uh, so the Gallifrey Embassy. Check that out. Those those guys just having some great fun playing around at the console, which was great. I mean, the, and and EG was there as well, and they're just they're flicking levers and pressing buttons, and the the column is rising and falling, and. It was it was fantastic. You know, th- th- that original console is yeah. intact. It's been lovingly restored and it was on display at Gallifrey. Again, another magic moment in L.A. Oh, that's fantastic. So for Icon, as you, you had mentioned, Fraser Hines, Paul, uh, obviously uh, Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook. And we have other related Doctor Who guests as well. So uh, Colin Spall, who was in... Um, Revelation of the Daleks with um, Colin Baker and as well as Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel as Mr. Crane. Yes. And uh, so he bridges the classic and the new series guests. And Jason Hay Ellery, the man behind Big Finish, will be there, which is again works out because Paul only Paul um, Paul McGann only had the one television appearance, but he's got a billion big finish productions. So it's, it's slight exaggeration there, but close to it. <laughs> it's how I came to big finish. Yeah. I, I mean, as much as I'm a Davison fan and I, and I love all the classic doctors, I came to big finish because they got Paul McGann and there just wasn't enough. And I said, how do I, how do I find out more about the eighth doctor? And, and I discovered him on audio. And then that led me to listening to all the other audios. Um, so Jason's coming as well. Uh, Steve Gostello is a guy who did some of the props for the documentary more than 30 years in the TARDIS. He lives in the States now. He's bringing a classic Dalek with him as well as some other props to take pictures with. The Doctor Who store is going to be there. They're bringing the Ironside Dalek with them. Oh, cool. and they'll have- they, 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 were, they brought that at the New York Comic Con. They you, did. It's the you same one you that. saw at yeah. New York Comic Con. So we'll actually have two Daleks in the house at Icon. And that's not even counting all the other science fiction guests 
Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Torchwood. So we have a sort of Doctor Who-ish connection. Sure. Jeremy Bullock, who played Boba Fett, most legendary in the Star Wars movies, who was also in a Hartnell episode and a Pertwee episode. So, mm -hmm. again, reaching in there. But Sarah Douglas, who's done voice work for the Doctor Who, the, the games, the video games, and, and Big Finish stuff. So and, ap and appeared with William Russell in the first Superman film. As well as the other franchises, Rika Sharma from Battlestar Galactica and V and Smallville. And, and there's a there's a nice guest list. It's something for everyone. And um, and if you could, people can go to iconsf.org is the website. Correct. So. For details on it, it's the weekend of March 30th, 31, April 1, 2012. It's at Stony Brook University campus in Stony Brook, Long Island, which is a little over an hour outside of New York City if you're looking to travel. And there are people coming. Uh, a lot of out-of-state fan groups are coming in, some people from Boston, some people from Philly, uh, some people down in Virginia are coming up. So, I mean, it's really humbling to know that people are like, oh, Paul McGann, wow, holy cow, you know, they're making the pilgrimage. So it's been it's been pretty cool. We're going to be welcoming all the fan groups. The Gallifreyan Embassy people will be welcoming all of the out-of-state fan groups and, and, and hope, hopefully making them feel welcome. I'll give you a sneak peek at some of the stuff they're going to have over the weekend. There's, of course, autograph signings over the weekend as well as talks. They're going to, there's a, there'll be a big finish panel, probably not, probably at least two uh, to talk about that. We've never had any kind of big finish programming in any New York conventions before, so that's, that's unique as well as having Paul McGann. There's a Doctor Who mega panel being prepared, which will have a ton of Doctor Who guests all in one panel for probably about 90 minutes. And when I say mega panel, I do mean mega panel. That's in addition to a Battlestar Galactica mega panel, a Deep Space Nine mega panel, a Big Finish mega panel, a, a, a whole thing about voice acting, uh, the, the, the cosplay. We have a photo thing set up for Doctor Who cosplayers. It's going to be, it's just going to, it's ridiculous what it's going to be this year. And this is the 31st year. Icon's been a great local convention of ours for years, but this year they've, they just this is just going to be a special one. So, so it's at SUNY Stony Brook, which is a university, but they also are co-located. I'm not sure. I'm assuming they're going to be doing it again this year at the Holiday Inn in Ronkonkoma, right? Yes, the Holiday Inn in Ronkonkoma is the one of the hotels associated with the convention, which isn't directly on the campus of the university. So, some of the more adult programming you know, they have things where they might have uh, the masquerade is a 21 and over event with a with a bar and dancing and stuff that stuff's going to be at the hotel the the, the school mm -hmm. probably wouldn't go for that um a few things like that will be going on back at the hotel and um it's do it's you know do you know if the hotel is sold out for people i'm sorry uh for people who might be traveling to the convention uh i'm sure there are other hotels in the area but do you know oh, offhand yeah. if that hotel is sold out yet or I it's pretty darn close if it isn't already, but there are other hotels in the area. That, in addition to the Holiday Inn in Ronkonkoma, the Hilton Garden Inn, which is a quarter of a mile down the road from the Holiday Inn, is the second official hotel. They honor the same convention rate as far as the, the nightly rate and, and all the stuff that you know use the icon code at their on their website and you get the same rate as if you would at, at any of the official hotels. So 
And there are a few others in the area too that um, I don't know for certain if they honor the same pricing. I think they do. The Fairfield Inn in Medford is another one I think that honors the the Icon deal. I'm guessing it's probably on the Icon website. They probably have that. $99 and the free breakfast and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it, you know, there's so many commercial um, cons in New York. This is a fan run convention. It's run 100% by volunteers. It's been going on forever. And as Lewis and I will both tell you, we've been longtime icon goers. It's very fan friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's um, 27 years now. I started with icon three. No, well, this will be 20, will be the 28th because I started with icon three. So, yeah. 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 And so it's, uh, we, we've been saying for, as long as we've been on Podshock, we wanted Doctor Who guests to be back at Icon, and they are, and they're back in style. In full force, so, yeah. So. And, and I think from as a personal appeal to Doctor Who fans in the New York and New Jersey and, and, and the area around us is just support Doctor Who. We're fans. Here's an event. Well, if we want to see Doctor Who guests return to Icon, Absolutely. it's Gotta important. Show love. Yeah. I mean, it's important that the turnout is, is good. Yeah. <laughs> So definitely. All right. So definitely mark your calendars the end of March, um, the last two days of March and first of April. Icon 31. All right. Well, uh, we're going <laughs> to our new segment is going to um, there's not much news since our last show, but we do have one sad mention. And I, I think um, Graham is going to talk about this is uh, Peter Holiday had passed away at the age of 87. Right, Graham? Yes. Uh, it saddens me just as much as uh, Nick Courtney and this Laden did. I really felt kicked because, to be honest, he was in a lots and lots of my favourite Doctor Who episodes and he was always a joy to watch. Now, Peter is probably originally best known for the role of Packer in The Invasion during my favourite Doctor's time, second Doctor, Pat Troughton. And uh, we played the hapless uh, Packer, but wasn't the only bits that he ever did for Doctor Who. Went on later, uh, first of all, uh, with John Pertwee's time to do, first of all, the voice of Silurians. Then, uh, well, an episode later, uh, back, I think it was an episode or an episode two later. Uh, back for the um, Ambassadors of Death. He was in Voices yet again. And then we saw him once more, but a lot of people won't recognise him because he was plastered in grey makeup in Carnival of Monsters as Plectrack. Um, then he went on uh, a bit later. It was getting towards, well, I say middling towards the end of uh, Tom Baker's time, where he appeared as just as a simple guard uh, in the City of Death. And there's the one scene where the Doctor ends up uh, back at Leonardo da Vinci's um, paint workshop, you could call it, and uh, he was playing with the guards there. And then... His last appearance uh, was in Remembrance of the Daleks alongside Sylvester McCoy um, playing the vicar, or the blind vicar, and it's the very famous uh, floating coffin scene there. Uh, I, he's done 
plenty of other stuff besides Doctor Who. Um, the original Saints with Roger Moore and the Avengers and a lot of um, what they call ATC or uh, Jerry Anderson type programming mm-hmm. from the 70s. Uh, more lately in Dial Pasco and something that Dave uh, likes a lot, uh, Goodnight Sweetheart, which is a sort of uh, it's a sort of time traveling show. Only in that it takes in two takes place in two time periods. So um, I always wa- enjoyed watching his performances and always brought something to the show. So to be quite honest, it's really sad, but. I haven't been able to find anything else out, but it seems to have been at least a peaceful uh, death. Uh, unlike Nick and Liz, who unfortunately suffered to the end, um, this this time round was was peaceful. So uh, the only other thing I thought was that uh, we actually found that the news uh, a week later that he died because um, the official date was 19th of February and news didn't really break in around until the 25th. So it's about the only sort of discrepancy or odd thing about the whole thing, but uh, it's it's really sad that he's, uh, he's gone. But uh, at least we've got enough and everything that he's done in Doctor Who um, still can be viewed, even though that's at the moment until it gets its DVD release proper and Buster's death is still largely in black and white. But we only need to hear his voice in that, so it's not so bad. Mm. Well, it's, it's always sad news when, when we lose someone. So, um, so yet again, yeah. So that's um, even more so why um, you know conventions are a good way to um, you know to take advantage and meet people and um, g- you know gain from their knowledge and gather that stuff yeah. while they're still around. Yeah, exactly. Well, this um, little tidbit, I don't really see as news i put it under the category not really news but it seems to be all a lot of people are running with it as news is that Stephen moffat had mentioned that um and if you've been watching Stephen moffat um you know past year i mean this is nothing new as far as what he's been saying um that new monsters are better than relying on old ones and he had hinted that the new series will focus on on the new ones for the next series so um expect new um adversaries yes Oh yeah, uh, you know what? Even he himself would say, "I'm such a fibber." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not to say that he's going to turn his, you know, that that there won't be any old, uh, you know, familiar faces in in the in the new series. You know, as far yeah. as adversaries goes, or monsters, or whatever you want to call them. I mean, as much as I, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody because I know that pe- there's lots of people who don't want it spoiled. So don't do that. I mean, I've seen the first sort of production photos and that. Yeah, no spoilers. But, uh, <laughs> no spoilers. But I'm really looking forward to see what's possible because it it's that sort of well nudge nudge, which classic monster is cu- are coming back. But they have hint- majorly hinted that one of the classic monsters is coming back, and at the moment, from what I've heard, it's down to three. So um, any of these three, and I'll be well over the moon. One of them I'd... No, in fact, two of them I'd really enjoy more than the third, but, um, yeah, I'm not saying anyone that. It's it's uh, really classic monsters, so nothing before 1980. Uh, No, no, nothing after 1980, sorry, nothing before. So we're talking real classic monsters, so I'm... 
I'm just waiting to see what happens. Well, we'll be revealed. Yeah. All right. Well, without any other further news, I guess we'll be right back with more Doctor Who Pachak and our review of Scream of the Shocker. This is Paul Cornell, and you're listening to Podshock. We're going to get to our review of Scream of the Shocker, starring Richard E. Grant, the unofficial official Ninth Doctor, or the official unofficial first Ninth Doctor, that I should say, or, or whatever. He he was um, the Ninth, or perhaps um, perhaps not the Ninth, maybe the Tenth. He was he was. Um, one of the doctors after the eighth, we have to assume the ninth doctor at one time. And um, his story was um, Scream of the Shocker. It was a webcast. And we're going to get to a review of that. And then once uh, the, the TV series was relaunched, um, that story was sort of erased from canon. But what's not erased from canon is that Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 100,000 titles to choose from in every genre, be it thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and and so much more. Plus, they have tons. Well, since they're digital files, they don't really have weight. I can't really say tons, but they have <laughs> they have a lot. They have uh, probably more than any other um, sci-fi genre. They have a lot of Doctor Who selections. Uh, I know the last time I checked, it was um, somewhere in the vicinity of 180-so um, titles. That was a while ago. They're probably already past 200, I'm guessing. I don't know. I, but uh, th- there's a lot. Audible plays on your iPhone, your Kindle, Android, over 500 devices for your listening anytime, anywhere, just like this podcast. And for you listeners of Dr. Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free download with a free 30-day, it used to be a 14-day, but I think they've bumped it up to 30 days now, trial, so you have a chance to kind of check out their service and see what they're all about. And if you decide it's not for you, no worries, you still can keep your free audiobook. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podchalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchalk for your free audiobook. And since we are going to be focusing on the original Ninth Doctor, uh, well, I don't know if you want to say officially or not officially, whatever your opinion of canon is, at one time he was the official Ninth or Next Doctor or whatever, uh, Richard E. Grant uh, uh, as always, we like to make a selection, a recommendation or a referral of what you might want to select for your free audiobook. but it's up to you. You can choose whatever you like. But one of those selections you may want to look at is The Wawa Diaries, The Making of a Film. It's by Richard E. Grant, and it's narrated by Richard E. Grant. So it's from his personal diaries, uh, He his debut behind the camera as a writer and director, in his autobiographical movie of the same name. Let's hear a little bit from it now. There was a braying chorus of, we're going home on one hand, and England's gone to the dogs on the other. Most faced the dilemma of either trying to hold on to a colonial standard of living and sense of self-importance that had a fast approaching sell-by date, or sailing back to a life of anonymity in a semi and Datchet, or Norwich, or wherever. The circumstances of my parents' pain-filled divorce were so riddled with rumour, recrimination and misunderstandings that in writing about it, 
I hoped somehow to make sense of it all and expose the hypocrisy of the colonial hoi polloi sitting in judgment. Secrets are like poison, and I wanted to burst the pustule. At the same time, I wanted to revisit and recreate the sheer malarkey and joy of being an adolescent amongst adults revving up for an amateur production of Camelot. Hillary calls. Can you come in and pitch to the finance team at Blackjack Productions in Soho Square tomorrow? The next day I put on my confidence pants, go to Soho Square and hit the button for the seventh floor. In the boardroom I plonked down, riddled with doubt that my story is too fragile to hold their attention. I breathe deeply and smile as they enter. No going back. The pitch is not a million miles away from the one I gave in Robert Altman's film The Player. When I hear the words, an intimate epic, spurt from my maw, I realise just how beyond myself I've actually got. All the more so when I quote scenes and examples from the masterworks of Messrs Kubrick, Coppola and Altman along the way. Smoke screens and mirrors. So far they're all giving me the hugest benefit of my doubts, and continue nodding and smiling, even laughing at the Camelot shenanigans. How soon can we see a draft? And with a do-re-mi, agents are negotiating a writing-directing fee, the pitch is now a proposition. October to November 1999. Bruce Robinson, who wrote and directed with Nell and I, advised me to start my screenplay with a tried-and-tested precept of thinking about what happened on the day it begins that had never happened before. My beginning is inadvertently witnessing my mother's adultery on the front seat of the car whilst I slept in the back. The middle, my father's drunken attempt to blow my brains out one night when I emptied a case of his whiskey, and an ending, my father's bizarre funeral, when a young Swazi priest attempted to raise him from the dead. I decided on these three foundation posts, then set about filling in the gaps, which plunged me into examining my past and the people I knew with urgent ferocity. Firstly, I made a long list of key events, characters, incidents and anecdotes to try and find a narrative thread to bind them all together. One of my earliest images of growing up in 60s Swaziland was the contrast between the black Swazis kitted out in traditional Mahia national dress, which kept them cool and casual-looking, and the pasty Brits, who wore clothes that never seemed to suit the hot weather. Those that did brave the sun soon burnt to an angry red crisp like a bursting sausage. There was a brigade of horsey women with enormous arses, moustaches and jolly hockey sticks ideas about everything, walloping about in all directions, whose skins had weathered like leather and whose breath and hands always smelled of horse saliva and dung. The men all seemed to be obsessed with their balls, big ones, small ones, red ones, white or black ones. Any and every sport featuring balls seemed to be an obsession. Given the heat, no television, nine-to-five working hours, cheap servants and lots of leisure time, it was entertainment. So once again, that's The Wawa Diaries, The Making of a Film by Richard E. Grant. So that could be your free Audible book, or you can choose something else. Once again, check it out. Go to, for your free audiobook today, simply go to audibletrial.com slash pachak. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash pachak. Not only will you be helping yourself out for a free audiobook, but you'll be helping out this show too. And welcome back to Doctor Who Podshock. Now, over here in Germany, Scream of the Schalke uh, actually means something to do with soccer. It's when the fans are really, really mad at a bad game. There's a football team over here called Schalke FC. So uh, this 
becomes really confusing. <laughs> but we're not talking about that this time around. It's a animated version of uh, what was basically what was supposed to be uh, the Ninth Doctor, and this is what the BBC were originally going to do. And then things happened. Well, we should back up. The year was 2003, 2003, and this was the first new Doctor Who that was officially, you know, sanctioned by the BBC. It was, you know, came out, you know, via BBC I, which was BBC Interactive, meaning that it was via their, their website, you know, since the 1996 movie. So this was really the, the first time. We should just say it's an animated, it's a flash animated story, you know, with uh, actors doing the voices and all that. But it's, um, you know, it's not live action. And it was six parts, and they're about 10, 15 minutes, about 15 minutes um, each episode. Even though the when this new series did come out in 2005, it superseded what they had established in this story. It's This is still an important story because it, it's one more step. We, in, on Talk to You, Pachak, we always said that the 1996 movie was the the stepping stone from, um, you know, from Doctor Who of old to Doctor Who of new, you know, it kind of bridge, in, in, in a sense, modernized Doctor Who. It was important. The 1996 movie was important for that. This takes it, you know, one more step closer to what we see in 2005 and onwards. So I think it's important. For, and um, <laughs> practically the whole cast somehow, you know, eventually appears in, in Doctor Who again in the in the series. So, um, and then there's one uncredited person that plays a significant role in Doctor Who in the future. So, um, but I, I go ahead, Graham. I didn't mean to sidetrack um, you. Yeah, I mean, there've been other sort of uh, webcasts, tie-ins, and sort of things. And um, but this was the first brand new, as in a brand new Doctor. <clears throat> And basically, this should have been the start of something brand new. Now, alongside parallel to this, and um, what happened was that uh, Russell T. Davis and uh, Julie basically got the nod and the push to relaunch the proper TV series. So, um, Russell T. has said so many and many a time that this is not canon. Um, and basically cut it down, which is a pity. It's a real pity. Uh, this went out originally, um, it started being, it was released weekly uh, between the 13th of November and the 18th of December 2003 uh, on, on BBC I4. And uh, for some of you out there, the animation will seem very familiar, if a little bit coloured this time round. Uh, anybody, I just spoke about Peter Halliday, and well, the Invasion DVD was basically brought back to life in that uh, two of the episodes were animated and animated by the same people, and that's how they got the job. Yes, Cos basically. Cosgrove Hall did Co the animation. Cosgrove Hall. Yeah. Uh, Cosgrove Hall. Uh, if we've, if you've listened to uh, previous Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi is what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> you knew what I meant. But, but no one else would have. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, uh, wavelengths and, and the like. Um, but yes, and uh, they produced uh, during the 80s and well, late 70s and 80s things like Danger Mouse, Count Docula, 
um, starring uh, starring uh, David Jason, who's later on gone on to do a lot of really famous roles, at least within British television and the like. And there's a couple of uh, Terry Pratchett's um, adaptations that were done for uh, Channel 4. That's not anything to do with the BBC, um, a proper Channel 4. It was the fourth channel we ever had in the United Kingdom before um, satellite TV came into being. And there was two of those, uh, Weird Sisters and Soul Music. And so the, if anybody's seen those, the animation style will seem a bit familiar, um, a mm. little bit jumpy because it's it, Flash. It was Flash. Uh, back then, the you know, not everyone had broadband internet, so they had to, you know, back early Flash animation on the internet was, I mean, it actually, this was actually good at the time. You know, this was, yeah. um, when this came out, this was actually, you know, we saw, we saw this as a good, um, you know, move up to what we saw in Flash animation before this but now in today's standards looking back at it it does seem a little stiff and not as fluid as you would come to expect you know today <clears throat> excuse me today uh, I, I mean if you want to um get an idea properly of why uh, this looks a bit jumpy can say compared with the invasion pieces why they look a lot more fluid um all down to f uh, frame rates uh, due to the fact that this was as lewis mentioned um at least should have been able to be watched on a dial-up modem of 56k. So uh, that was sort of that was basically what they were told. Uh, it is happen, and you know you it's, figure it's almost ten years. I mean, it's nine years ago. So uh, well, yeah. The, almost yeah. So it's well, that's in computer terms. It's that's like <laughs> generations. It's generations. I mean, I I personally was on my first lot of broadband, and I wasn't even getting. Uh, I wasn't even in the Meg area. I'm an only just in the Meg area now. Um, <clears throat> so I was getting like 300, I think it was 300 kilobyte a second yeah. back then, uh, which was a vast jump from what I had at the time. But uh, so this is sort of the restrictions they had. So I think they were using something, I think the frame rate was around about 18 um, pictures a second they were using rather than the sort of the 30 or frames, as 18 frames is rather than the, 25 to 30, uh, which is your standard um, to get a fluid um, animation going. So if you're a uh, Doctor Who fan, most likely you've probably heard a lot of audio adventures. So if you see this as a, maybe as an animated audio adventure and, you know, and just look at it that way instead of looking at it as an animation piece per se. There you go. On the house. I've got a sore throat and I'm too ill to use a tool. I love you. Marry me, Alison. You're going to take me away from all this? Alison, don't give away the beer. Why not? We're never going to get any more. We might as well empty the cellar. It might just stop. And you're not paying me enough for this, by the way. Nobody else will come in. It'll stop. It has to. Everyone's been saying it's going to stop since it started. Everyone's waiting for it to change, but nobody is doing anything. Everyone's too scared to leave their houses. I don't agree with her. This is all her. I told her to shut up. Single glass of Merceau 96, if you please. Uh, I've heard so much about it. Sorry. We only do dry or sweet. And I don't do sweet. Miss Cheney? Any relation to Lon? Wonderful chap. Hairy hands. What are you on about? I haven't seen you round here. No, in a bustling town centre on a Saturday night, I suppose you don't get many strangers. Ugh. 
Oh, you're scared. Less than these two are, though. That's why they're both looking at me like that. They're scared of anyone who isn't. Scared somebody might talk. Do you want to do this, Alison? Do you really? So, none of you are going to tell me anything. You haven't even thought to charge me for the drink. And there's no pack or bell on this jukebox. I'd have thought he'd get a look in on smooth classics too, but no. It's all right, whatever you are, we're all being good. Like, like the two, like the two other pieces that uh, came out um, in roughly the same way. Um, there was the the side. I can't remember what it was now. And um, there was one the side men, uh, real time. That uh, that's with, uh, with Colin, that's Baker. Colin Baker's one. And, and then they had Shara. They Shada did as well. That yeah. was with Paul McGann. Yeah. So it's Paul McGann with Romana too, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Lala Ward. Um, so this is one of the few times I've actually get Lalo Wood back. Now, as Lewis mentioned, the list, I mean, there's only, let's say, a few voices, but the list of voices is pretty uh, phenomenal. Um, well, before you uh, mention the they, cast, I just yeah. want to say that it was written by Paul Cornell, who, uh, you know, who's a friend of the show and has been on the show. He, he obviously wrote, went on to write uh, when Doctor Who came back to television, um, he, you know, he came, he he went on to write several stories there as well, several episodes there. Family of Blood, as as an example, and Father's yeah. Day, right off the, yeah. the with the first series, yeah. Yeah. Which has a little uh, some parallels with this because, um, well, I don't want to get for, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but yeah, <laughs> a fair few parallels. Now the cast listing is quite interesting because we have a. If I'm right, from memory, uh, a South African playing the Doctor, Richard E. Grant. Which is quite fitting because taking taking the role after Paul McGann, since the two were in With Nail, With Nail and I, it just seemed fitting that it was Richard. I mean, he was also he, in, a, in a comedy satire thing. He was he played the Doctor um, in, um, in, in that satire, which, what was it called again? That was written by Stephen Moffat, the... <laughs> Oh, I think it's, it's it was a brain fart day, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was Curse a comic of the relief. Death. Curse of the Fatal uh, Death, yeah. Which was a comic relief piece. I think it was uh, 90, what was it, 99? Around about that, or 98? Around that time. I wasn't living in the mm-hmm. UK then, so uh, and didn't get to see it live. But more of an afterthought on, on British Forces television. Um, I say we had Richard E. Grant uh, as the Doctor. Now, me personally, and the guys can add their bit, me personally, I thought he was rather brilliant as the Doctor. Um, the Doctor that, it seemed to me, I mean, this is just my opinion, nobody else's, it just seemed to me that a lot of what we saw with um, the ninth, the proper Ninth Doctor late, uh, later, uh, I've got to say Christopher Eccleston. I keep calling him Eccles Cake, and Eccles Cake is a little... A little cake you get in the north of England full of currants. And he's an actor, so I'll try and keep it separate. Um, but uh, you see things between the two 
portrayals of the Doctor mm -hmm. are very similar. And this this version of the Doctor, this uh, Richard E. Grant version, is very much the damaged Doctor as well. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, uh, because he struggles on taking on companions and endangering yeah. them. Um, also, another parallel to, uh, you know, to um, Christopher Eccleston's debut story, you know, similar to Rose, is that this is not a regeneration story. This quote sort of just picks up, you know, right in the middle of his time as the Doctor. It's not, you don't see the Eighth Doctor regenerating into the Ninth Doctor. And actually, I'm not too sure if he really is the proper Ninth Doctor in this story, because there's a line where he's, um, that he's, He's speaking with a homeless woman, and um, there, there was a mention of a cat being dead, and she said she used up, uh, or he, whatever the cat's sex was, used up all its nine lives. And he said, sort of, you know, it's similar to me, I've used up all my nine lives, which would imply that he's the Tenth Doctor. But that might just be a, a little glitch there. <laughs> Probably a glitch in, in the writing or whatever, but... Solidified lava. Never knew what hit him. Who? That? No. My Oswald. He was run over in 1987. He was such a lovely kitten. Grew up to be an awkward cat. He must have used up his nine lives, rather like me. I'm terribly pleased to meet you. What's your name? Miss Matilda Pierce. Charmed. What are you doing here? I don't know. They keep putting me in places where terrible things are going to happen. Oh, right. Is there change? Oh, let's see. Uh, I got here Atraxian Sembel Seeds. Oh. Well, you'll need to grow those into a tree before they'd be worth anything. Zornic Groats. No, you don't want currency that talks back. Uh, do you not use euros yet? You're being cruel to me. Oh, never, Matilda. I'm a homeless person myself. It's the first thing I am. Here. <laughs> what do you know about that lump of rock? <laughs> Only, you're the first human being I've seen on the streets tonight, and I was hoping for some assistance. Nowhere else to go. I've left my house. The floor wasn't solid. Not solid. I used to have 28 cats, but they all ran away. All the cats and dogs and birds have left this town. All the animals. Why? Well, cats get scared of things they can hear. You know, it's how a tiger marks its territory. By low-frequency sound. Mm. A, a booming in the throat keeps all the other top predators away. But what about the people? Why aren't they out and about? You seem a nice young man. You should stay off the grass. Why? It's down there. What? Oh, no. No. Oh, stop it. It's all right. Stop it. It's all right. Oh. It's, it's just some sort of oh. earth tremor. Oh. Hang on to something. Ah. Matilda? Matilda? Oh. But, you know, 
It's not bad. But, and but I think what like... you're saying is true. I think a lot of what... Because he's hard-edged. He's He can be sharp yeah. at times. And yeah. that's something that we saw later on with, with modern doctors. And, you know, especially with um, with Christopher Eccleston and, and even with David Tennant, you know. Um, you know, when we saw David Tennant first as the doctor, you know, Chris, the, the, on... Um, the, was a uh, that Christmas story? You know, no, no more second chances, and uh, he was the final word, and it, you know, and it, it's sort of that hard edgeness you've seen here as well. Yeah, on the Christmas invasion. Uh, um, speaking of David Tennant, yeah, yes, he makes an appearance in this as uh, a character called nothing more than the caretaker. And now he's uncredited in this, so you may not know that he's in it. Yeah. Now, just really listen. Now, who, now, who or what is the caretaker? Just a caretaker, as far as I remember. Ah, oh. because I, uh, this was sort of an after fact. I was like, oh, I, you know, now I need to kind of rewatch it again because I, I didn't really recognize his voice right away. So I'll need to. Um, I mean, so summertime is good at, at burying what he sounds like properly. Yeah. For anybody who's religiously watched the tenant period, so all the tenant fangirls should be able to pick his him do maybe another voice or a different accent elsewhere. Well, that's not the only returning cast member that that you know when i say returning will return later on uh yeah. you had derek jacoby playing the master yeah and it's, it's kind of now that that was for me a little bit of sort of an odd thing it was like um i don't know a bit more chameleon than master well even though he was the master it seemed real, i mean master. i don't want i don't know if this will I guess we should sign the spoiler alert. <laughs> but, you know, before we go any further, we should just explain that if you haven't seen this, it's available on the BBC website. Now, there's a caveat is that when this was made, Flash, which is the I'm speaking of the uh, the plugin for your browser back then was up to version four. I think now it's up to a version 11. So for some reason, it's not showing up properly, at least in, in my browsers. But you can't there's a little trick that I saw that if you um um, underneath the window where it's supposed to be playing, and it's if it's if it's if you are experiencing the problem where it's not playing, underneath it it says full. There's a link that says full screen. If you click that link, it will then show properly um, on your in your browser. At least in my um, in, in my doing. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, we'll in the show notes on that website, gallifreyembassy.org or podshock.net, you'll I'll include the link. In fact, it's in the link for our last episode at Podshock 266. There's a link to it. And if you go to that link, it will bring you to the BBC uh, section where this, uh, where they, I think they call it a webcast. So it's uh, it's it's in among the other webcasts, and this is Scream of the Shocker. You can watch it there. It's free. So that's, yeah. um, and it's also not limited to just the UK. It's worldwide. So you don't have to be a UK resident, you know, you can, you can, and you can watch, like I said there, uh, six episodes, approximately 15 minutes each. And it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite a piece to watch. I mean, if you get, once you get used to sort of the slightly jagged animation style and that, the story does take you with it. And like I say, the, um, yeah, could, I'm not going to really go into sort of deep spoilers or anything like this. It's sort of just keep to the basics, but um, it's, it was just one of those things that sort of threw me because I got this sort of 
really got the chameleon vibe when yeah when, that's what i was getting yeah and it's just it's really odd now other i say stalwarts but uh i can't really say stalwart until there's more episodes than just two um now you'd recognize her face if well no not really her voice yes mm-hmm. um now, Sophie Okanido, who played uh, Liz Ten uh, in The Beast Below, and then uh, when the Doctor was requiring a bit of help later on, and she made the, um, or helped River, as River was trying to piece things together. And um, she plays a character here. Five. Yeah. And she plays a character called Alison Cheney, who was. At the time, in this, at least in this piece, put forward as the new companion, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, she's one of the best things in this. She's uh, very like, strong and independent, and um, yeah. you know, and and precedes Martha Martha Jones as being like the, the first black companion. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, a female, I should say, because Mickey, if you count him as a companion. <laughs> well, I don't mean that as a slur or anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, there are no. There are some people I know out there. They, they try not cope Mickey at all. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's the, the fact that, um, that she's there. She's a strong. I mean, they say, oh, Sarah Jane um, is very much sort of the nod and the push towards and with maybe Tegan a little bit later as to the stronger companions. Quite honest, um, you see it all here. It's mm-hmm. it's even though it's an animation, it's all pretty much the finished idea. And ah, uh, I mean, you really have to if you haven't seen this yet, you take the time. Maybe just do over six days. It's quarter of an hour, so you sit down, maybe have a breakfast, sit in front of the computer, bring it up, just watch an episode a day whilst you're having breakfast. And, well, um, as I said, it, it it it's another stepping stone to the modernization of Doctor Who as we see it today. So even here, it, uh, the TARDIS console is sort of eclectic and made up of a mishmash of different things. Uh, the Doctor is using a mobile phone, which seems fairly common today. But before this, you didn't really see the Doctor use a mobile phone. Um he uses a sonic screwdriver here. It's the traditional sonic news driver that we've seen in uh, the 1996 movie, as well as, um, you know, the, the, the Tom Baker and, and um, 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 Peter Davison years, you know, th- yeah. that that style of sonic screwdriver. Though there is a scene where he um, very early on, he breaks into a hardware store and I'm, I'm watching it and he's using uh, a hairpin to break into it. I'm like, why, you know, that's something that you normally would use a sonic screwdriver for. And, uh, but that I think was a bit of foreshadowing because not to, again, no spoilers, but he, I, I think, you know, he, he uses it again. So I think that was just a storytelling device that, you know, they, uh, but he could have just easily used the sonic screwdriver. But unlike the television series today, I, it wasn't so, the sonic screwdriver wasn't so um, used, heavily used as much as it um, is today. Every day presents a new challenge to one's dignity. Hello. You've reached the good ship targets. We're rather busy at the moment. <laughs> Leave a message after the beep and we'll try and get back to you before you call. Stop that! 
We really should change that message. Are you there? I'm trying to get there, you fool. Well, if you can hear me, have you considered setting up a secondary configuration suite? Nothing can generally get in, I know, but I haven't encountered this lot before. There's something worryingly confident about them. Cheerio! <sighs> Why did I choose continuing existence, listening to him being right all the time when I had the option of a slow, painful death? If you want to compare it with, it's a, I say, a slight modernization of sort of Pertwee era stories of invasions on Earth. And basically, you have a sort of a crystalline lava style or type of creature that's basically doing the invading and taking over the people who also things you might see later in films like Shaun of the Dead or a zombie-like uh, thing going on so it's a rather interesting story to watch um, I mean it all supposed to take place uh, in it's a village called Lunnet in Lancashire and uh, the thing is the doctor feels or seems to be uh, transported there against his will, uh, where he finds the village silence, its inhabitants all, all living in fear, except for the barmaid, which is the Allison character, and the alien Schalke have taken up residence beneath uh, Lanet in pre uh, preparation for a wider invasion. And they're living basically in the molten lava. It's, all played, or it's supposed to look like that anyway. And, well... Well, at a coincidence, a coincidence that the weird our last review, which was the Solorians, we have creatures living underground, and once again, we have creatures <laughs> living underground. But it's a coincidence. This our review today of Scream of the Shocker actually comes from feedback that we received now in our that we played in our last episode. Greg from Florida had called in to the Doctor uh, Doctor Pachak public call box and had asked um gave a suggestion about reviewing that and I said, Oh I don't think we had reviewed it in the past. So it's an um even though it's not officially canon per se, I mean everyone's interpretation of canon is everyone's interpretation. You have your own canon if you you know but um be that as it may, I think it is an important story because of it. it like I said, it it is a step further of um, bringing Doctor Who to where it is today. But but yeah, once again, you have. I, I again, Graham, I didn't mean to step on you there, but Hello. you um, we have creatures living underground and uh, um, wanting to uh, wipe out the the humans on the surface. Oh, this. I mean, some of the background in this, um, basically, uh, it came out of the fact that the controller of the BBC, uh, BBC One at the time, uh, basically persuaded BBC Worldwide that their plans for another Doctor Who film were basically nowhere near fruition. So um, this is basically what we got in its place. And um, so it, it's, it was supposed to be canned in the end. Um, mm -hmm. This was going to be the, the this was going to be the future of Doctor Who. I mean, yeah. after the 1996 movie, you know, we had hoped that you know when that that movie came out that it would launch a new series, and yeah. um, you know that was all of our hopes. You know, whether how however you felt about the, the 1996 movie, at least it was bringing back Doctor Who to the to to the television screens. And unfortunately, when a series didn't come about, and there was all this, you know. 
it's, it's sort of like the Doctor Who movie today. There was all this talk about a uh, new series and all that, but it never came to be. And um, so finally the BBC said, well, this is going to be Doctor Who's future. You know, this yeah. was before Russell T. Davies came into the scene. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, um, yeah, it's just the part of the problem is as it was supposed to be going out, uh, Russell T. wanted it canned properly. But luckily, uh, BBC seeing sense that they've actually spent money on this, um, did put it out on, on the website. And so we had something to bridges. It's there. actually been cleared for a DVD release. So we may be seeing this, yeah. you know, on, on an upcoming DVD, you know. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, I mean, the, the 30 Years in the TARDIS uh, has been brought out with um, Sharda. So um, I wonder whether this will come out. Um, maybe we'll get a compilation of all the animations that have been uh, done since uh, series ended in 1989 till the series came back in 2005. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Now, when the series did come back on television and, and, you know, with Christopher Eccleston and going forward, we pretty much illuminated the fact that, um, you know, the, the in the 1996 movie, there was a reference to the Doctor being half human. Now, in this story, that wasn't really... Uh, carried over so much bluntly but there were some hints to it the 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 char the master character makes a reference to um um to to the doctor's uh, human characteristics he, he um he I, I i should have wrote down the quote i don't remember it offhand but he makes a reference to um and I, it doesn't mean that he's implying that he's half human but he just might be taking on a human characteristic but he he says oh that's one of your human characteristics and i was yeah. wondering if that's a reference to the half human thing or, or not so it's it's kind of curious to see where this might have gone going forward and and those that may not warm up to richard e grant as the doctor I, again this was like the 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 first outing you know of him as the doctor and with this format with 15 minutes episodes it doesn't really give him a chance to kind of uh you know have some slow scenes or or because he is he does come off kind of sharp and hard-edged and um you know a, very much different than what the what we know the doctor to be in previous incarnations, you know, except for maybe maybe the the Colin Baker, um, you know, when he first regenerated, he was um, some people resisted his interpretation of because he was a bit harsh as well at times. But in that, you saw his warmer moments as well. Here, you don't really see that because of the format. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, it's weird. it's probably because I do enjoy watching Colin Baker's Doctor, even in things, uh, well, even in The Twin Dilemma, uh, one of those few odd people who actually enjoy watching that. And you can call me odd if you want to. Um, but, uh, you know, I actually, despite the way the character looks, because the, the fact is this... this yeah, he's even drawn kind of hard edged as well. You know, the, his hairstyle and all that. He he has I mean, this looks like, hard edged yeah, look. It, I mean, definitely looks like Richard E. Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, that's you can say that without uh, without a problem. But it looks like they've taken some hints from Hammer horror movies, uh, Christopher Lee, because he's got a very sort of, um, mm -hmm. sort of Dracula look yeah. going on there. But it doesn't quite. I mean, for me personally, the look didn't seem to quite fit properly with the way that uh, the acting has come across the acting oh, it's just fantastic P 
people say, you know, well, Lewis has said they're hard-edged. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Now, the weird thing is, and despite that, uh, there's been no official announcement from the BBC. Um, it has been cleared by the British Board of Film Classification for uh, release on DVD. Yeah, that's Just what I was alluding to before, yeah. Now, because I, I was like, when I was having trouble getting this off the you know viewing this on the on the on the website, I was thinking to myself, I mean, um, have they released this to DVD yet? And um, and to my surprise, you know, it it hasn't yet been, but it's been cleared. So, uh, you know, we could expect it in a future release. You know, well, if you go looking hard enough uh, in the right eBay sort of places, and uh, because I haven't found it anywhere else. Um, there's the novelization of this, uh, if you want to read it, uh, which is written by Paul Cornell, the guy who wrote the screenplay originally. Yeah. So I'm, ass- I haven't it, seen yeah. it. I haven't read it, obviously. So I'm assuming that obviously if it's a book, he really, um, yeah. it's, um, it's fills, fleshes yeah. it out. Yeah. The problem being that, you know, this is, this was the first proper BBC Doctor Who book release since they released the um, things like, oh, what was it? Um, Ghost of Endspace. Uh, and there was, uh, I forgot what the other one was. There was the two Pertwee Adventures that came out in audio were also released as books. And um, that was back in 95, 96. So, um, yeah, 2003. And this, this finally came out as a book. So, Happy hunting if you can find it. Um, I'm still searching. Uh, I only saw it once, and it did go with a ridiculous amount of money. So, uh, and, who, and supposedly there was a short, an online short story called "The Feast of the Stone," but that features this doctor, the Richard E. Grant doctor, or some fans known as, as the Shocker Doctor. Shocker Doctor. There is actually a guy on on Twitter that yeah uh, I know I, 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 like I mine's the second Doctor <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but you know there are people who are fans of this Doctor including myself um, it's unfortunate where he ended up but uh, what can you say um, we're not in charge well you could uh, see there's a as a altering timeline or a, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the time war could, could, could work its way into this and explain <laughs> explain it. Yeah, well, um, I think Paul himself could explain this uh, best. I mean, he has been quoted once already that um, there was a series called Unbound. Yes, uh, that's right. By, uh, the, the Big Finish, right? By Big Finish, and that's this is what uh, Paul classes as his Unbound novel. So you can see this as possibly an alternative take on the Doctor, uh, if you want to look at it like that. Um, the only animated version that I'm aware of. So we should just explain for those that might not be familiar with the Unbound series. To my understanding, the the name really comes from that it's not bound to continuity, established continuity. It sort of goes, you know, you have different actors playing the Doctor, and um, sometimes they they go off into different things which you normally wouldn't, you know, be in Doctor Who. Yeah, including having the female Doctor as well. I think it was the female Doctor. Um, Annabella Weir, who you might recognize the name from sort of 
as it quickly flashed past as the titles went up at the end of the uh, last Christmas episode. Uh, she was the female... Um, we could. I'm not sure you could call them a guard or a miner or uh, a soldier miner or whatever the uh, the uh, <laughs> Andrazani was supposed to be, because I still haven't worked that one out yet. Um, she was the, the female uh, among the other two comics uh, alongside Bill Bailey and another fellow. I'm yeah. sorry, I can't remember the name of. I do apologise, but. Um, but that's what the Unbound series were, and so you do these things like that. You've got one with Derek Jacobi in, as far as I'm aware, and um, Nick Briggs makes an appearance somewhere, and it's just that sort of thing. It was just to basically take the chains off of what would be a standard Doctor Who story and let it go further than you'd normally let it go. Um, I mean, Big Finish do that anyway, I'd say, but... So we, we recommend if you haven't seen it to definitely, you know, give a give a watch again. It's free. It's on the BBC website. Uh, you might have trouble, f- you know, getting to work. But I told you, if you if you click on the full screen link, it should work. And uh, um, and just take a look at it. Just as Graham had said, you know, get, get past the animation style. And, um, you know, obviously this is where Doctor Who could have gone. It's it eventually went somewhere else. But it's interesting. It's part of Doctor Who history nonetheless. Oh yeah, I'm gonna give it three and a half, maybe four. I'm I'm, I'm gonna give it three and a half, but I'm gonna give it four Tardis groans only because of the historical significance of it, and um, you know, it, because of the cast and um, it does play even though it's not per se canon now at the time it was, and for that reason, you know, I think it's it plays a, a significant part. Without that, maybe three three and a half Tardis groans. Mm. Myself, uh, a strong four, and not because of any historical thing. I'm one of those few people, again, I enjoy it. And I will readily admit I enjoy it. And it gets its yearly pullout uh, in between. This is the first time I've watched it in years, so it was good seeing this again. And and by no means did I, you know, didn't enjoy it. I, I'm just, you know, I, I again... Um, you know, I try to put myself back in the time when it was when it came out. Every time I do these reviews, though, um, this one's a little harder to put yourself in that time period because it's not you're not it's it's an animation thing. So it's, it's sometimes you know it's sort of timeless in that respect because it doesn't really you know you're not seeing stuff in the background like oh look at that old phone or look at this or whatever. So it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of kind of timeless in that respect. Yeah, but well, it's it's timeless. interesting the little elements that are in this that we then later on see in in the series that will you know it, you know come in the future yeah uh, things like you know army appearing in, i mean i was in british military for 13 odd years and um it's kind of odd that you see the trucks turn up and it's like do you know those things were supposed to be taken out of service years ago and they're still tottering around <laughs> so in that, in that sense yes it is timeless uh, and Land Rovers, the Land Rovers, our Land Rovers. They get facelifts, but they still look roughly the same anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a unit idea as well. Um, it's basically just a sort of general British army. I got out there, watch it. Oh, very good. I know Ken had mentioned that he didn't have a chance to watch it recently, so that's why Ken's kind of quiet right now. It's not. Oh, that will yep, we just. But put I've him... been listening. <laughs> that will we put him to sleep. <laughs> 
and I have one of those um, unofficial DVDs of this. Which um, kind of fell out of the oh, sky. Oh, found its way into my collection a long time ago. <laughs> well, I, I, again, it is free. on this, So it's just a matter of convenience that it's on a DVD. For, you know, but it's, it is free, available on the website, on, Very on true, the internet. Very true, but you don't have to worry about your Flash player, I guess, on the... On yeah. You know, just popping it in. I mean, it is... The quality is is that of someone who ripped whatever you said it was, Flash 4, into a DVD, so make what you will of it. Mm-hmm. And then when the official one comes out, I'll buy it. As always, yes. The, look, the cast is ridiculous. I mean, how do you not want that in your collection? And it written by Paul Cornell, for crying out loud. And the only reason it got no love was right before this went to... Um, right before this went public, the announcement came out that Russell was bringing the show back, and they wanted no confusion. Mm-hmm. We're going to move over to, we have one piece of feedback that we want to play, and then we'll wrap up the show. I brought some wrapping paper, too, and a pretty bow. <laughs> so we'll, um, I should remind everyone that if you go to pachak.net or galfrandomacy.org, we'll, we'll both bring to the same site, and on the top there, there's a little feedback uh, you know, button, you know, on the navigation there, and that will tell you how to send feedback. Or you can call the Podshock public call box with any phone. It doesn't have to be um, a, a mobile phone that the doctor uses, but you could use that. It's 2068, I'm sorry, it's 2069843543. Again, that's 2069843543 for the Podshock public call box. And it works like voicemail, and there's no, we don't charge you for that, but, you know, of course, whatever local charges apply will apply to you so uh check it out give us a call we want to hear what you have to say we we did this review of scream of the shocker from um from feedback i think it was greg in florida had sent in feedback uh suggesting it so uh we do listen to even if we don't get to play all the feedback on the show we, we try to uh we listen to them all and, and take them all under um you know consideration so this feedback is from um this call is from gary and I'll let Gary take it from here. Hey, Podshock, this is Gary from Austin, Texas. I'm just calling regards to that, uh, discuss uh, what maybe be the possible plans for the uh, 50th anniversary special, our specials coming up. Now, I know uh, a lot of people are anticipating probably maybe a Doctor, uh, doctor Regeneration episode, or, but I'm in the boat with most people, I think. They would like to see a multi-doctor episode. They got me to thinking how they would actually execute that if that was indeed going to be their plan. Now, I think it would be pretty easy to bring back, you know, David Tennant or Christopher Eccleston if he ever decided to come back, as no much, not much time has passed since their departure from the show. But it got me to wanting, I would really like to, what I imagine a lot of other people, like to see a couple of classic doctors brought back again on the uh, Doctor Who special. The problem being in that is that a lot of time has passed since their departure, and they no longer look like they did when they were generation as the ravages of time tend to do to people. So I'm thinking, how could they get around this? Could they go around the same way they did with uh, bringing Peter Davidson back for the Time Crash Children Need special, where they explain away his older appearance? Or could they do like they did in the third X-Men film with uh, Ian McKellen and, uh, and then digitally age him up? And there's also the problem if they wish to bring back either the first, second, or third Doctor, would they want to recast those roles as no longer uh, John Pertwee, 
William Hartnell and Patrick Trout no longer with us. I'm just curious to hear some of his opinions. If he were to do a multi-doctor special, who would you like to see brought back? And how would you think they would bring them back? And how would you explain older appearance and age? Or would they try to disagree them? I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Appreciate the call. Keep up the great show. Really enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Well, just off the bat, one quick way to avoid the age problem is to have them playing other characters, you know, sort of, um, I think it was, um, was it Zagreus, the BB, the big finish yeah, yeah. story that sort of did that where they had various actors from Doctor Who playing different characters. So, uh, different aspects. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's one way they could bring back other, you know, past doctors and other, even other, um, you know, characters and have them, you know, play different parts, you know, to, as far as the Doctor goes, especially. I mean, you could bring back past companions and play themselves just aged. Yeah. But as far as the Doctor, yeah, that's going to be an issue, you know, because obviously Colin Baker doesn't look exactly the same as he did, and obviously Peter Davison and uh, so forth. You, the good thing with Paul McGann, I mean, I, I'm not suggesting that, uh, again, we, that we may not be a multi-Doctor story. It might, I mean, now that we're up to 11 Doctors, it's it will get very... Confusing, perhaps, especially for people that that may not be familiar with all of them. You know, having eleven doctors in one story, but um, I mean, uh, but who knows? You know, maybe um, a few doctors might return, but maybe not at all. It might be something completely different. So, uh, Graham, I think you were going to say something. Um, there are a few ways around this um, uh, due to sort of things that. I personally do an audio as well. Okay, we'll st start with the visuals. Um, the easy ones, okay, we can have definitely 11, definitely 10. Uh, nine is sort of, have we got enough money for that? Um, yeah, I doubt eight. we'll see Christopher Eccleston come back. I'd be very surprised. Not that I, I'm against it, but I just I doubt it. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I doubt that very much as well. And the eighth Doctor, definitely Paul McGann, uh, he, he's definitely up for it. Um, and w the thing with Paul, the eighth Doctor, is that we've never seen him regenerate into the ninth Doctor, so we don't know what the eighth Doctor looked like when he regenerated. So it, yeah. it do the time doesn't you know, apply to him as far as his aging. So we don't have that sort of thing. Um, we could, I mean, it's not too far stretched to get um, Sylvester back. And so that's where we're sort of, as far as, you know, getting to it. So we're talking about seventh and eighth doctors, classic doctors. Now, as for the rest, um, see, the, the sort of doing Professor Howe as a parody podcast, it allows me to sort of think into little tricks about how I can do things when I'm writing stuff. And one of the possibilities for uh, doctors five and six is that they're brought whatever, or however into it, whatever time zone it may be, and there's some sort of something's gone wrong with it, and they basically turn up as they are now, uh, very aged, and um, you know, they are as they are in the 60s. Now, the previous doctors, uh, old knights, um, with the third, well, the second and third doctors, I could imagine, as the fact is, it's not only myself that. It impersonates Pat Troughton as the second Doctor fairly well. Um, Fraser Hines, very well known for doing it. 
Uh, but my odds would be on David Troughton himself and some sort of, maybe sort of, if they can get it right and it doesn't end up looking like um, the 2003 um, Dimensions in Time thing uh, of floating heads, uh, that they sort of animate them, you know, maybe the first, or second, basically second and third Doctors and animate them and you have a proper sort of animation sort of idea, maybe in the vein of the three Doctors trapped in a time bubble and they can only give maybe advice from the, uh, from the past. So you have them in a sort of like a, I don't know, TV screen or a, a carrying around gadget and you have David Troughton uh, voicing Second Doctor and Sean Pertwee voicing his father because uh, he can do it when he wants to. So uh, those would be my sort of ideas of how they get around that. Uh, like I say, there's plenty of people out there that could do the second, well, I say plenty, there's enough people out there that can do the voices to get this done. So that's how I'd see that for a sort of a multi-doctor over the generations sort of thing. But, but I, uh, I really don't think, for, I mean, it's not that I don't want to see it, but I just don't think they're going to do it. I, I really think if they're to do something like that, if they were to do a multi-doctor story, it'd probably be maybe David Tennant and Matt Smith, you know, and and limit it to just two doctors and build a story around that and um, maybe have references mm. to past doctors or have maybe, as I said before, having other doctors play different parts or something like that. But I just don't see them doing in, t in today's Doctor Who a full on multi-doctor story like we've seen with the five doctors. It's not that I dislike the five doctors or I, I, something I like that. I think three doctors... I think it's something along the line of three. I mean, if we look at reality-wise, I mean, those are the ways we could, it's possible to do this sort of thing. But then you're looking at, a, 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 I mean, Stephen Moffat is very clever with his planning and the way he does things and the way he writes. Um, but just to get so that everybody's got a bit and maybe just a little section, that is an awful headache. So me personally, if I was to see it and personally have it, realized as a multi-doctor and um, i'd have a second three doctors and i would go for the eighth the tenth and the eleventh doctors and have those three guys uh wor working together and uh, uh not too many companions because you end up having companion soup after a while and you end up with something like the five doctors where uh, not everybody was too delighted with the way that turned out i was quite happy i was 11 years old i mean hell you know i thought it was great stuff but the fact that it was the five doctors slightly suffers from being companion soup as in this that is the one the few times well we'll agree there were too many companions at one go i mean uh, they, they may do that. something like a children in need thing where they might have yeah. something no. like that but i suspect sort of an hour and a half uh long sort of film length special uh, roughly in that sort of area, probably or possibly with three doctors. But I mean, well, they might just is, do the whole guessing. series as a nod to to the past, where there might be just multiple stories with nods to past stuff, but not over not overwhelming new viewers with it. Yeah, because uh, the way they did it, um, going to something like the eleventh hour, is a great example. I'm not trying to too badly overwhelm viewers with the sort of past. And um, I think it was one of the, in um, from, also from Series 5, one of the um, TARDIS episodes that you only get on the DVDs. 
uh, or I think it was was it the root? I'm not sure it was on the website. Memory fades. Um, where you get the sort of the backgrounds. First of all, the eleventh hour, you get the sort of you see the faces of the Doctor from from the first Doctor. Then you get the tenth Doctor at last, and then Matt, Matt Smith's eleventh Doctor walks through that as the eleventh Doctor uh, taking over at that point. Uh, where is one of the TARDIS episodes? Um, Amy is having a go at the Doctor to show him, you know, that it must have been past companions and that. And uh, through a bit of clever Stephen Moffat writing trickery, uh, she, uh, Amy fools the Doctor into showing the past companions. So you, on the on the big view screen, which looks like um, if anybody's seen Pink Floyd concerts or pictures of Pink Floyd concerts, they have this big round um, screen. Projection, projection screen right above the stage in the middle, uh, which is similar to the, the, the screen that's in the TARDIS now. When we ever get to see it, it's usually only little snippets like that. And all the past companions come floating up. Uh, Zoe come uh, past uh, Leela, of course, and Leela's in the in the classic pose there with a knife and that and the short leather skirt. So, uh, yeah. And then going right up to date. So, um <laughs> Yeah, as long as it doesn't suffer from companion soup and 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 stuff like that, then yeah, I just think they're going to go a, a more conservative route. I think they'll they'll just limit it to, I mean, if they if they do three doctors, I, I, I'll be now again. It's not that what I want. It's I'll be I just the direction I think they're going. I, I think it's, it's they, just a sort of yeah. I think they'll limit it to probably just um, two doctors if they do a multi doctor story. Um, but maybe I'll be, you know, if they do, I'd be great. I'm, I'm always for Paul McGann coming back, so don't get me wrong. But I, I suspect we'll see, and again, it's just purely speculation and, and my own personal suspicion that we'll see uh, David Tennant come back in some form or another. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a whole, it's basically just the logist, logistics of the things and the, and the budgets. Because the BBC at the moment is uh, or has been strangled by the government. Uh, basically got a big old wrap on the on the wrists and told off for spending too much money and the fact that the BBC at the time um, were wanting well, what we call pay rise uh, basically just wanted to uh, yeah. raise the license fee. And that's why we won't uh, see any CGI doctors or anything like anything that's going to cost too yeah. much money we, we're not going to yeah. see. So I, I, I don't really I mean I suspect they, we might not have a multi-doctor story so I just want I don't want people to start expecting one because there might not be one so uh, we they could just be another way of, of acknowledging the 50th anniversary other than a multi-doctor story which I suspect might be the case Ken I did, I think oh what <laughs> what's your feeling on on Gary's question about the 50th anniversary what they I may do I think there's very little chance that we're going to get a multi doctor story and I think we're going to have flashbacks I think there's no chance that any actor play the original doctors in in any way shape or form I don't think Sean Pertwee I don't think any of the Trout, Pat Trouton sons I don't think any of that's going to happen if anything based on what you saw in the recent Tron movie they can digitally recharacterize the classic doctors and either use sound clips from older little bits and pieces of things, if anything at all, to make them come alive. And it's probably not as expensive as we might think it is to do such a short clip. And I think that Moffat's already stated that it's a season-wide celebration as opposed to a 
multi-doctor story. So, uh, and and I and Sylvester has stated that he would like to come back as a different part. And what I liked in Zagreus was the fact that it was all happening through the TARDIS. And we know that the TARDIS is telepathic, and we know that the TARDIS uses different imagery to save the Doctor. As a matter of fact, Moffat has played with that over the last two seasons, and it wouldn't surprise me if the way we see the past Doctors is through the TARDIS, uh, through the telepathic circuits, advising the current Doctor in small little ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, that's basically how I'm seeing it too. I really, I'll be very surprised if they do a multi-doctor story. But that being said, I think that the, all the companions are on the table, uh, and it's just a matter of availability or coming up with something interesting for them to do. Uh, as as nostalgic as we may be, to um, to want to see everyone, there may not there there, there may not be a reason to have um, Polly in a story. And now I would be totally geeked up to see Annika Wills in a story, but maybe they don't have someplace for her to go. M- you know, Moffat may yeah. not have something for, for her to do. Where where Jamie, there's a ton of things to do just based on the type of character he is. Yeah. So, uh, that uh, was, and, and I, I, th- yeah. I think there's zero chance we're seeing Eccleston. I think there's 100% chance that we are seeing Tennant, and it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Paul McGann. And, and Peter Davison, for that matter. I think there's no reason why you wouldn't see Peter Davison. And then that's not saying we're not seeing the others, but look at the track record. Uh, Tennant's done nothing but talk about, I'm available, I'm available. Yeah, well, and Tennant uh, is a fan, and it's something that, yeah, he, he's been saying all along, yeah. And the only reason he would have anything, the only reason he would have a reduced role beyond co-starring is to not show the current Doctor up yes. because of his enormous mm-hmm. popularity. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, Pert, we felt the same way about Troughton and Hartnell when they did the three Doctors, and the same thing happened with Davison. You know, the current Doctor naturally gets the love, so you always defer. The, Matt Smith's Doctor will be the one that resolves the problem, will be the one who wraps everything up. And the other doctors will be there to advise the current one. The current doctor is always the main one. Absolutely. I mean, it just makes me think of little sort of subplots and that. As I'd love to see myself because you say, as Ken says, with Jamie and also with Zoe, is the fact that at the end of the War Games they have the memories wiped apart from the first adventure they have with the Doctor, and well. Since the Time Lords are not around to keep watch anymore, how about giving them their memories back and just see what happens? Well, it could start creeping in, sure. Uh, again, yeah. the TARDIS is telepathic, and if you've yeah. heard the miniseries that Fraser Hines and Colin Baker did with the Sixth Doctor and Jamie, they worked their way yeah. around that. They worked their way around yeah. an older Jamie where he's not believing the Doctor. He's turning around and saying, well, what are you talking about? I don't, you know... I don't know what you're talking about. What, what are all these fantastic adventures of which you speak? And the first adventure winds up with the sixth doctor saying to Jamie, well, why don't you come along and find out what I'm talking about? And thus begins Jamie anew 
we all know his history, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And yet it's an older, more sophisticated Jamie with still a few, you know, oh, that is a and fill in the techno babble. And Jamie goes, I, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff It's still wonderfully charming. You know, they got to have to drop the joke, don't you? Doctor, look at the size of that thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Jamie, it is a big one, isn't it? Well, before you know it, it'll be here at the fifth year anniversary. So, <laughs> oh yes, and I and I think we're we're going to start seeing lead ups to it even in this season. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there's there are some um, either classic monsters or cr- classic moments being re- revisited. We've had it since the show's come back in two thousand five. There, every season has had some tip of the cap. Almost every story has had a line of dialogue from Matt Smith's ID having a picture of William Hartnell to the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's always a tip of the cap because of the people who are making it now are so in love with the show and and grew up as fans. Um, but I think it'll be a season-wide celebration and, and I like that idea. I like the idea that it is that we're going to see a little something stretched out over the mm-hmm. season. Yeah, same here. And there's a lot of rumors that that it's going to be a regeneration story when we get to the end of the 50th. And I really hope that's not true because I think Matt Smith is spectacular. And if I was a betting man, I would say that's probably not going to happen. If I was a betting man, that's my money would be on that that Matt Matt Smith's not done yet. Yeah, I that's my feeling as well. All right, well, I think we ran a little longer than we expected, but I think it was a good show. It's um, good hearing, um, Ken, your feedback from Gallifrey. And um, next, speaking of the 50th, 50th anniversary, there'll be another Gallifrey one next year, which um, will be on the 50th year. Yes. Tickets, so. uh, tickets will go fast for next year. It's going to be a, a spectacular event. It, it keeps growing every year, and there's no reason to think that it's not going to grow even more next year. And, uh, Graham, thank you for your input with um with scream and and everything else so until next time i think we're going to wrap things up cheers everyone cheers no hey before we go i want to apologize for this episode being delayed this episode was delayed in post-production and then i came down sick and it was delayed even further in fact i still may sound a little congested right now because i am <laughs> but uh apologies there Also, uh, a couple more points that didn't make it into the show. I know many people have been asking about it. The February seasonal meetup on Second Life, the regular date for that had fallen on the same weekend as Gallifrey 1. Obviously, that would have um, caused conflicts for some of the attendees at our um, that, that usually show up at our events. So we rescheduled we rescheduled it for the following month, this month of March. Unfortunately, there has been some last minute scheduling conflicts again, and um, it would be silly to reschedule it for April, where our next regular meetup is in May. So we're just going to hold out until May. So keep an eye on our website for forthcoming details, podshock.net or Gallifrey, um, the gallifreyandembassy.org. And as always, this episode of Doctor Who Podshock, in fact, every episode of Doctor Who Podshock can only be brought to you by your support. And we're tremendously grateful for those that do support the show by becoming a 
Pachak supporting subscriber, simply go to either arttrap.com or pachak.net and you'll see on the top banner there a way to become a supporting subscriber. You'll be able to support the show and help us out and hopefully we'll be able to get the show out on a more regular basis and do more for you. So uh, we are tremendously grateful for those that are supporting the show and you can make a difference with your support for a small monthly fee you'll be helping us out tremendously. So once again, uh, podchock.net and go to the top banner there. There's a, um, there's a, there's instructions on how you can become a supporting subscriber. And that's going to wrap things up until next time. You have been listening to Dr. Who Podchock presented by the fan run org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Pachak is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Pachak theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for iOS devices, now available in the iTunes App Store. I'm afraid you'll have to get used to that. Is there anything else I'll have to get used to? Ship rules. No running, no jumping, no pushing, and no slapping.